There is divine purpose when it comes to marriage. And in this series, we're going to get a look at a divine portrait of what kingdom marriage can and should look like when a man and woman come together in the design that God has created. So in this series, I hope you hear from the Lord. Become even more established in the faith so you can live out your full potential as a kingdom citizen. Let's go. Mark, welcome to the Kingdom Citizen Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. You're our first guest we've ever had in the whole program. That's great. I love it. Love to be here and be number one. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about how long have we been friends now? We off just before we shot this, I think 11 years ago is what we decided. Yeah. Stumbling across each other at a family camp. You bet. And me getting a chance to meet you and Brooke and your family and you getting a chance to get to know ours. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted you to come on the program because when we met, we met around talking about this whole aspect of the divine portrait of a kingdom marriage. Yeah. Yeah, and you think about it, uh, how long have you and Brooke been married now? Coming on 29 years. Oh, okay. we're into 29 years. 29 yeah. years. So Lisa and I just celebrated our, our 37th year. Okay. Now, here's the reality. Uh, at 37 years or at three years or at three months, I think the issue is the same for all of us. Mm, okay. We make we talk like it's not the same, but the issue is almost always a vision issue. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, I think Lisa and I have asked it of each other. Uh, I work as a pastor, so I've yeah. heard plenty of couples yeah. ask the question, how do we do marriage better? And I think it's an okay question. It's mm. just the wrong question. Yeah, there's a better question yeah, you mentioned. Yeah. The better question behind it has to start with why. Gotcha. Why are we married? And that's part of why I love the Kingdom Citizen podcast, because you dig into the underlying why, the purpose behind the daily stuff in life. Yeah, you bet. If we don't have a good purpose, if we don't have good vision for our marriage, we cannot get the how right. Yeah, you and I, I understand. too many Christian couples wasting way too much time, way too much money trying to fix the how mm-hmm. when the vision is the issue. Yeah, when I feel vision leak in my marriage, uh, it causes all kinds of issues. And I found for Brooke and I, we're in different seasons all the time. So we're having to redream the dream. And you and your wife came to Dubai when we were living there. Yeah. And we asked you, okay, teach this series that we're doing right now to our whole staff in Dubai. But then you did a special session just with the Phillips family. Oh, yeah. When we were having to redream the dream, not just for our marriage, but for our family, going into new seasons with the kid about to graduate, moving back to the States. But you guys really helped us. But we had to re-energize that vision for our marriage for our family and the dream that God has for us. I appreciate you saying that. At least I'm in the same spot. We have a little phrase we use all the time in our marriage. Uh, sometimes we have to say it uh, and remind each other when we're not in a good place. And that is, we are always rookies <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely rookies when we first got married 37 years ago, but this is the first time that we've had four adult children mm-hmm. and still a teenager at home. Uh, the first time we've had grandchildren at yeah, their age. Yeah caregiving elderly parents, uh, first time we've been doing some caregiving for a disabled relative. This is new for us. And so for us to act like experts at any season of life, I I think not only is foolish, but it might be arrogant. Yeah, it's humbling. I mean, when you first said we're rookies all the time, I thought, well, shouldn't you be experienced by now? You're teaching this to us. You're a pastor, you're a speaker, you're a teacher. But then I got what you were saying in every new season, every new experience is we have to humble ourselves into rookie status. But how freeing is that for us to say, okay, I don't have to have it all together, but I have to humbly come back to a foundation that can get me through this rookie season. Yeah. And there are some things that we learn in the beginning, hopefully, the Lord teaches us, 
that you can build on. So it's not like we're mm-hmm. rebuilding everything. Yeah. We're building on what's been learned. I like that. But I think about, um, at least for, I taught five of our kids. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, drivers. Oh, uh, ed, uh, it was too cheap to pay for it. <laughs> and so uh, every one of them had the same issue, yeah. which was how to keep the car in the center of those narrow lanes. <laughs> okay. You start drifting into oncoming traffic to the left. Yeah. Or you drift into curbs to the right. All of them were working hard to drive well. <laughs> But they looked like they were DUI. Yeah, yeah. You um, said they were white knuckling. White knuckling. You could tell they were trying. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a lack of effort. But I remember one day stumbling across a, a, a driver's ed manual mm-hmm. that I was trying to learn for myself how to teach them. Yeah. And they said, help the student learn high aim driving. In other words, high help, aim driving. Yeah, okay. look at where you're going to be, uh, not where you are. Yeah, and lift your eyes up. Yeah, okay. And then, and as soon as I did that, I watched all of our kids do the same thing. Just magically, the car started straightening yeah. out, and they stopped moving from overcorrection to overcorrection. I think that's most marital mm-hmm. issues. Most marital issues are overcorrection to overcorrection, and they think they need to learn a better technique. Yeah. But what they really need is to raise up their vision and understand not only where they're going, but why they're in the journey in the beginning. And it's a uh, higher level of process. Yeah. It's a higher level of thinking. Yeah. I hear you saying too many marriages are looking at the hood ornament. Yeah. And they need to be looking at the horizon of where they're going. Yeah. That's a great, that's a, I will steal that in the future <laughs> and say that I came up with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we but, have it documented here. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'll have to source you. <laughs> uh, and then when you, when you do that, as soon as you're kind of picking up that bigger vision, you're answering the why question mm-hmm. of your marriage. Again, too many couples ask how. How is fine. Yeah. I do think there's some, some needed how. Only after why has been settled. And usually the only couples that talk to me about why get married are either premaritals. Yeah. You, you know, couples who are dating and saying, should we get married? If so, why? Okay. Or couples that are in deep pain and crisis. Mm. Why are we continuing in this yeah, marriage? Yeah, why should we continue? Yeah. You know, we're either before we get hitched or after we're in a ditch. There's the only time we ask why. And I think daily, if we can remind ourselves of the why, we're calling back our purpose. And anytime you call back your purpose, if the purpose is high enough, okay. your passion will go up. Yeah, gotcha. And, and you've picked that up in this uh, Kingdom Citizen podcast yeah. series. The things you've done on uh, everything from work or yeah. facing death or every, is calling us back to the bigger purpose. Yeah. And your passion goes up on those. So it's not just marriage. Mm-hmm. Our daily jobs... We're more fulfilled in our work when we have a higher calling to our work. Yeah. Well, it's the same true as in our marriage. And I think that we need to be humble enough as believers, well, kingdom believers, yeah. to look to the king sure. and receive the vision he gives us rather than try to conceive it and sell him on our vision. Yeah. Revelation that gives purpose where you teach, that's where the passions fail. Yeah. And I think you find it in page one of the Bible. Mm, okay. Um, I do not think God leaves this as a mystery to mankind. Yeah. This is where it starts to frame up. Yeah. yeah. At Genesis okay. chapter one, verse 26 and 27 is usually the centerpiece that we pick yeah. out. But that whole story of God's creation it is so powerful. 126, let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness. By the way, that's a huge phrase and we can yeah. drill down in that. What that means is we are people who are built to look like God and act like God. So if one of look my like kids- Look like God, act like God. Yeah, so if uh, one of my sons, uh, we're told, he and I look very much alike. <laughs> okay, He's yeah. my 33-year-old. If he were to walk into my bank and someone says, oh, he looks like Mark, we would know what they mean. Yeah. It means physically, he has characteristics of Mark, looks like him. But if they said he was here as Mark, yeah. we would know the definition was a little different. Like, oh, he's here on Mark's business. Yeah, as, as his that proxy. authority. Right, yeah. 
this verse in 26 tells us the same. Mm, okay. And then in verse 27, the punchline is, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then there's no period there. Yeah. Semicolon, male and female. That's it. He created them. And that's our why. Mm. We get a chance to be a visible picture of the living God. Okay. And that could change Monday. Yeah. Like that could change at dinner time. That could mm-hmm. change how Lisa and I clean up the kitchen after dinner. Yeah. That I get a chance to showcase off a little of who God is and the way we treat one another and relate to one another. When that purpose goes up, I'm telling you, the passion mm. of even having dinner or doing dishes after dinner <laughs> yeah. can increase as well. And I think a couple who pursues that kind of passion, it grows over the decades. Mm. I do not believe, uh, I reject the theory that uh, a long-term marriage lulls into boredom. Yeah. It can if vision leaks, but if vision stays up, those are the couples you see who are celebrating their 40th or 50th anniversary with a lot of fire still in their eyes. Yeah. And the passion didn't come from anything other than an abiding purpose that can sustain and so that to me is super compelling. A couple who lives without that vision, even if they're reasonably emotionally healthy, yeah. um, you know it. At about year five, they sound like they've drunk each other dry. It sounds like they're sucking on a straw in one of those empty yeah. cups and you hear, you know, out of their relationship. And then they run around trying to get a passion injection. Yeah, so they yeah. go, let's uh, remodel the kitchen. Yeah, let's get Let, a timeshare. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's yeah, <laughs> let's travel more. Yeah, uh, we need better date nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think great date nights are great. Yeah, I just don't think that they infuse <laughs> passion. I think they give Lisa and I a little spice in life. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the bread and butter. You can't buy passion on date night. No, and uh, and, and God, I think instead says, if you'll chase me and your purposes, I'll share my character with you. Yeah. So you think about the things we love to sing about in worship. Yeah. Okay. Unconditional love. Yeah. Tender mercy. Strong faithfulness, beauty of holiness. If my marriage, if your marriage had even a reflection of those attributes on it, our neighbors would think <laughs> we're living a dream. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not. No, it's not just a dream, not a fairy tale. Yeah, it's yeah. not. We were actually experiencing a taste, a foretaste, because we'll experience more on the other side yeah. uh, of eternity, but a foretaste of a divine portrait. And so that's really where that metaphor came from and mm. Lisa's in my marriage. And I think it was just shy of. 30 years ago, at least okay. I were in a rough spot. Yeah. Uh, not a bad spot, but a hard spot. Three young kids, uh, tired all the time, mm. too much work, and uh, and it was demanding. And uh, temptation was to think, how do we fix the marriage? Gotcha. And what had leaked out of our fatigue was our vision. Okay. And I can still remember looking at the Ephesians 5 marriage commands, and KP, I've shared this with you before, believing those commands were true. Yeah. But the aha came when I realized the story of those commands went back mm, to the yeah. garden in the first marriage. You betcha. And that laid a foundation that gave this clarity. And if I could buy into that vision, then passion would begin to increase. And so the metaphor that came to my mind just from my own personal walk with Jesus was, if we can trade up yeah. from a self-portrait to a divine portrait, mm. everything changes. And that is actually the flipped metaphor that... Yeah. that she really energized us and given us a new marriage that hopefully we've been trying to live off of for 30 years. I think you will for everyone. I mean, when I look back in the examples we had in our culture we grew up in mm-hmm. uh, with our families, uh, we've all been imposed with the portrait of marriage. Yeah, It's come through our experiences. It came through our culture, whether wherever that is around the world. But that frames up what we think marriage should look like for good or for bad. Yeah. 
But as a kingdom citizen, we've actually been given a blueprint. We've been yeah. given a framework that says, no, no, this is kingdom marriage. It's beautiful and it's purposeful and actually have a design uh, and an image for it. That's not just an image we're upholding to keep up with the Joneses yes. or look good to the neighbors. Yeah. But God has an image he wants to layer and cover and make vivid and alive. So, man, let's talk about that yeah. portrait. I'm glad you said that because sometimes in the Christian world, that portrait has been communicated a little bit like a paint-by-number picture. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Meaning yeah. yours and Brooke's marriage should look exactly like <laughs> Lisa's and mine, and this is what a good Christian marriage looks like, and... I think God's been way too good mm. to us to do that to us, to dumb yeah. it down to that. And yeah, I'm like sorry that. that sometimes as a church, and maybe me as a pastor has framed it that way, because I think what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 does, and then matching it with the New Testament marriage yeah. commands, is giving us a frame mm. for marriage, and then gives a couple a lot of freedom mm -hmm. to paint that out in very unique and individual yeah. ways. Okay, great. So we're going to go way beyond, you know, who works outside of the home and who works inside the home and who does dishes and who takes out the trash. I mean, probably some dishes need to get done. For sure, trash needs to get taken yeah. out. But that really doesn't matter who does it. Yeah, uh, We have some freedom to change that up sure. within that frame and that structure God gives Might us. Might even have cultural variants. It could have uh, life stage variants. For sure. Yeah, a lot of yeah. freedom found in that. And so yeah. that has actually opened up a horizon for me to look at the old story of the garden in fresh ways. Yeah. And I do believe that the Genesis 2 garden story is our story. Okay. Uh, I do believe it's a true story of a literal Adam and Eve. Yeah. And I'll say this in, with air quotes, but I believe it's mythical. Yeah. Okay. Meaning not myth as in a fable. But mythical in that it, a myth is a story that's so large that you could put your own story inside of it and find meaning. Not full allegory. Right, no. But it's I can find myself in it. It's yeah. historical, but we can find ourselves yeah, in the great. story. Yeah. And because of that, there's some powerful things. And so Genesis 1 tells us God wanted to showcase himself, show off mm -hmm. himself okay. on the planet. So he made people. But he didn't make an androgynous sex, and he could have. <laughs> yeah, he could have, for he sure. He could have made something that was neither male nor female. Yeah. But the text says, comma, male and female, he made them. Yeah. So it tells us that gender, then, is the tool that God uses to show himself off. He okay, wanted, this is going to be big. I want our audience to really get ready to grab hold of this. Yeah, because yeah. really, gender and gender dysphoria is the topic of the it day. It is. Right? It really is. Um, I do believe gender matters. And yeah. I believe God wanted to showcase himself through a masculine image of himself and showcase himself through a feminine image of himself. And, and as kingdom citizens, we can grab that. Yes. We can rub up against and interact with our culture that's disturbed on this issue and have some freeing and life-giving conversation on that foundation from the story all of humanity can find themselves in. So yeah. this is what I'm really eager to get down into. Okay, okay. so... God has set up in this divine portrait and he's laying out the fact of there are genders, they're specific, they're purposeful, and they're going to be the, the strokes that are painting this divine portrait if we can get them right. I agree with that. So if Genesis 1 gives us the large picture frame, mm, okay. I made humanity through gender to reflect me, masculine, feminine image of God. Genesis 2 then zeroes that picture mm. down in a little more... Um, tight lens. Yeah, gotcha. And that tight lens, if we can pick it up, starts us really, I think probably if you started at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, you'd start to kind of pick up uh, the story of God making a man and a woman in the garden. Yeah. 
says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we had a, we have a work of God. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. done. Verse Purpose sixteen, here. he commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die." So we have a work of God now, a word of God. Yes, passed on. Got it. Now all of a sudden you see companionship. Verse eighteen. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, I've heard you teach on this before. You said, uh, God said it was not good for man to be alone. But you brought up the point that Adam was not lonely, yeah. but he was alone. Now work on that for us. Help us so understand I, that. The mentality we have is usually, well, of course it's not get good for man to be alone. You get bored. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're lonely. Yeah. If you're going to watch Netflix, it's more fun to watch with somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Date night's hard when you're by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> That's not the point here. Yeah. Because Adam was not lonely. Yeah. Adam's most close companion at this point was the perfect other-centered lover of the universe. Yeah, 100%. A more thrilling conversationalist <laughs> with probably a better sense of humor. It's not like we made up laughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh other centered in the way he was always drawing out the best in others. He walked with God in the cool of, gar- of the garden. Yeah. Intimacy. Um, yeah. yeah. So he was not lonely. His problem was much more profound. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. alone. Remember, he's supposed to image God. Yeah. So Genesis something was one, missing. Right. Yeah. Genesis 1, let us make mankind in our image, mm-hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Perfect community wants to reflect on the planet. Yes. You got to have an other to be an other-centered lover. <laughs> yeah. Adam had no other. Okay. But God wanted him to see that. So if we were to read the whole text verse for verse, we would see that God said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Mm-hmm. And then he had him name all the creatures yeah. in the garden. That's an interesting thing <laughs> uh, to see, oh, I don't have my other. Yeah. And then as soon as he sees he doesn't have his other, the next section of scripture says, Adam found himself dozing off. Yeah, let's start completing this portrait here. Yeah. Yeah, with what's missing. So God puts him to sleep, uh. deep sleep, the text says, takes a rib from his side, creates woman. He wakes up, then he, I think it's verse 22 that says, he presents her uh-huh. to him. I have wondered if that's where we get our tradition of the father walking yeah. a daughter down the aisle in a wedding. I don't know. Yeah, I, wouldn't that be amazing if it was true? <laughs> at, that yeah. somehow Adam wakes up from his sleep and sees her yeah, and sees God presenting her to him. And he says, and I think the poetry in it is Hebrew. It doesn't sound like poetry, but it really is pretty powerful. Uh, he makes the comment, this at last is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. I know yeah. it loses something, but it's like, ah, yeah, sigh. Woman. Yeah. Bone of my bones, flesh of my past. So she's like me, yeah, but she's not me. Yeah. Because we didn't need a clone. I like that too. Yeah. Uh, he needed a woman and yeah, an that's other. a good distinction to draw. And uh, so um, I, I have a friend of mine who's a marriage counselor and used mm. to be a pastor, uh, has a practice in our hometown church. Uh, he made an interesting comment on the Hebrew here. He said, you know, the Hebrew that Ed, uh, Ezra Konegdo, he said, Mark, the best maybe English translation yeah. would be mirror opposite. Mirror opposite. So you think okay. about our hands. Yeah, yeah. They're like each other, right? Yeah. But the reason they're like and they fit is they're mirror opposites. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, if they were exactly like each other, we would not have thumbs that could match yeah. up. And we'd be able to do what we do. She's a mirror opposite of yeah. him. In this situation, uh, he's now present, uh, she's now presented to Adam. 
He receives her. And then you get the famous verse that I think is the most important verse on marriage in the Bible. Okay. Hands down. get this one then. Dogmatically, I'll say it because it's the only one Jesus ever quoted. Yeah. And he could have quoted a lot. Mm -hmm. He didn't quote from the Song of Solomon. He quoted instead Genesis 2.24. This is why, remember the why question, purpose, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is why. What is why? This mere opposite coming together and they become one flesh. And so we see a God-glorifying marriage has two components, both genders, okay, living in oneness. Got it. Which means when Lisa and I get up and pursue oneness together, we get to glorify God with our marriage. Mm -hmm. Or to use my metaphor, paint a divine portrait with our marriage. Man and woman living together, two genders in oneness is what starts to frame up and live out that divine portrait of kingdom marriage. And I think that is the fundamental issue. Now, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, if we put the wide-angle story yeah. of image of God and the smaller story or the tight-angled story of uh, how he made him some man and woman, a man made first, yeah, given a work of God, a word of God, a woman then created as a partner to come alongside mm-hmm. of him, uh, when we see one and two together, I think you could frame it up with three words, um, equal okay, and distinct. Okay, got That uh, a man and wife or a husband and wife are equal Mm-mm. in the way they image God, but they do it distinctly. Yeah, and that's the rub. I think our culture's making equal being sameness. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's causing confusion. And it's created, instead of creating a great divine portrait of oneness, we're just getting a lot of blurry lines and a lot of color patterns that aren't matching up. Yeah. Big swaths that aren't coming together to create something beautiful. It just looks like a mess of stuff yeah. thrown on a thing. When we get this distinct yet one, man, let's walk that out a little bit more in the picture. Yeah. And I understand the desire to kind of communicate sameness. I actually hmm. think the motive might be okay. I just think it's crazy misguided and it's not helpful. Yeah. It doesn't contribute to human flourishing and it doesn't glorify God. Yeah. And we want what's good for people. And glorifies God, right? That's his God's desire too. Uh, Lisa was an early childhood oh, development okay. major uh, a whole bunch of years ago. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I'll say it that way, uh, at the University of New Mexico. Okay. So we were, it's just a, a very liberal campus. Yeah, I uh, can imagine. Uh, and there was a department or a class in that department that developed a doll that they called Gobi, G-O-B-E. Gobi. Okay. Yeah, his name was Gobi. You could <laughs> not tell if Gobi, I say he, you yeah. couldn't tell if it was a he or a she. Yeah, his pronouns were different. Right. His pronouns were right. different. Right, and so Gobi was kind of a uh, an it. Okay. And the point was that they were supposed to take these dolls into all the pre-Ks throughout Albuquerque and tell children, go be what you want to be. Yeah. Okay. Do there not let gender yeah. stereotypes hold you back. Now, applaud the motive. Yeah, I can see that as a father of raised three daughters. We've empowered our girls. We want them to be strong. Right. And, yeah, nothing limits thing. them because they're female. Right. No. And so that the theory was, if you could see yourself as exactly the same men and women, yeah. then you would treat each other equally. But we, we have a better story. <laughs> yeah, our origin story says equality doesn't come from sameness. Mm-hmm. Equality comes from source. Yeah, we're both made in the image of God. It's raising your vision higher. Yeah, if yeah. I see that, when I'm disrespectful to Lisa mm-hmm. by tone, by word, by deed. Uh, that should get called out immediately yeah. because I'm, I live with a woman who reflects a feminine yeah. image of the Almighty. 
That should humble me as well as keep me in awe, right? It keeps you from abusing your masculinity toward uh, the our, our feminine companion, yeah. our tone, our tongue, our actions. Dismissing her voice, you <laughs> yeah. know, any of the things we can do that are just wrong. Can't justify any of it. Yeah. yeah. And so when we see that sense of equality comes from source, it changes everything. But equality doesn't mean sameness. Because you notice in the garden story that we see a man and a woman created like one another, but mirror opposites, different from one another. And so let's look at Adam first. Okay. And we should look at him first because he comes first in the story. Yeah. Not because he's more important, but because that's what God did in the divine order. You bet. You see Adam played out and he lives out his godly masculinity through headship. And that's not a word that comes to us from Genesis 1 or 2. More implied in it. Yeah. It's implied in one and two and then told us specifically in the New Testament. Gotcha. I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, 11, or 11, 3, and then 11, 11 that talks about uh, man is the head of the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it in Ephesians 5. And you see this sense of headship meaning not superior ability, but leadership. Yeah, gotcha. And his leadership is played out two ways in the garden. Right now we're in a good place in the garden. Mm-hmm. So it's laid out in initiative and the way he cares. Gotcha. That's putting parameters or characteristics to headship. I think so. Leadership and care. You see a stamp of leadership or headship on his soul, deeply within his identity. And the way that identity is lived out is the way he provides caring initiative in the Mm -hmm. garden. You think about the fact that he was, in verse 15, giving a a work of God. Now, Eve was going to join him in that work, but he was commissioned in that. You had to take initiative in that work. The word of God. The Mm -hmm. only prohibition, don't eat from this one tree. Now, Adam didn't know other people were going to come later. God knew. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he gives that word to him, and his job is to faithfully not only keep it, but pass it on. Yeah, you bet. You don't just keep it and keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. You pass it on to others. Yeah, and blessings come with taking that initiative and proclaiming that word. And curses can come if these are relegated or dismissed. Which which we'll look at in the next podcast, (laughs) right? The next part of the story. You also see the uh, uh, headship come out in the naming. Adam oh, yeah, is given yeah. the naming. That naming is an authority thing. You did not name my children. I did not name yours. That would be creepy, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, there's an authority thing yeah. there. And then also, even in the sense that he's created first, and in a Hebrew culture, birth order, firstborn hmm. son, there's a reason a firstborn son was got a double portion of the inheritance, because he had a double assignment of providing for the family. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't favoritism. It was resourcing what the call would be. Yeah, to live up to your responsibility. Yeah, and so headship is stamped all over there. Okay. He lives that out, no swagger, no abusing of that. He lives that out in the way he wants to see flourishing happen in every person who will come after him. Yeah, and this toxic masculinity that some people even lean on the Bible to try to justify, we see in a kingdom theology and as a kingdom citizen, there's no place for it. Yeah. No place at all. Yeah. And no if justifications. We, if we wanted to, we could go to the life of Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. The yeah. perfect man. Yeah. Can you even picture Jesus swaggering <laughs> when he came into Israel? You know, the slow-mo walk yeah. and, and with, his, with his disciples behind him? Yeah. A, no. He that's, did everything to eliminate swagger, even from yeah. the manger birth. Exactly. <laughs> everything. Exactly. That is the picture of... Uh, well, he's the second Adam, yeah. but of the first Adam before the fall was that same kind of caring initiative. So there's no patriarchy in a fallen world sense Ew. laid on in the original story. How about for Eve? 
Uh, her design is unique, Kevin. We actually get a noun for her in okay. the story. He said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make a helper. Helper. And you and I have talked about this a lot, how in our culture, that word helper <laughs> is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, You're talking about how that's what you want to get out of. Out of. Hey, <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> oh, the family I grew up with, the brothers I had, my as soon as you were able to work was, was ace 15 yeah. in our state. Uh, you had a part-time job. Oh, yeah, we only had helping jobs. Yeah, that's And the reason get. I wanted to go to college was to get out of helping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because we see helper as an assistant. Um, I grew up with three brothers, rough and rowdy group. Every mm. neighborhood kid I knew played uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah. Not one of us turned around and said, hey, I got a game. How about assistant on the ground? You want to be an assistant <laughs> on the ground? Nobody yeah. wanted that. Kids are lining up from around the block. Yeah. Assistant yeah. on the ground. And and so, Kevin, that uh, the word helper has so much baggage. Mm -hmm. So much baggage. We know that uh, it has been used to describe an assistant. Yeah. But helper in the Hebrew culture, well, the biblical story, only two people have been used by this noun. Yeah, this is important. And when yeah. you elevate the, the noun helper in this regard, yeah. it, it's a game changer. It, frames up yeah. that kingdom citizen lifestyle. Yeah, let's don't take ancient words and run them through modern yeah, definitions, right. Yeah. right? The first helper we see in the Bible is Eve. Mm -hmm. The second helper we see in the Bible is Yahweh, yeah. the Lord God himself. She is a reflection. Yeah, amen. I was joking with Brooke last night over dinner when I said, you think about helper, my car is down. Yeah. I'm not looking for an assistant because I don't know how to fix my own car. <laughs> yeah. I go to the one guy in the neighborhood who is the me. smartest and the most capable to fix engines. Yeah. And that's why I call for help. You betcha. Yeah. That's who Eve is. That's who a woman is when she comes together. Uh, and the picture of a divine portrait is this, a masculine reflection of God. Yeah. A feminine reflection yeah. of God. They're different, but they come in and they paint a more complete picture of God. Yeah. In because their God's neither, right? He's right. neither... Male nor female, nor female. In his reflection. Yeah. But in order for us to reflect him, it's going to take both. It takes both. Yeah. Living in oneness. Wow. So when Lisa and I are not doing well and we're not pursuing oneness, we might have the tools at, mm. at our disposal. Gender, gender's there. Yeah. But if we're not pursuing oneness, it doesn't reflect mm. the triune God. So oneness is the bonding agent that gets these two genders to come together to reflect that divine orchard. Yeah. Without then, oneness holding it together, it skews the whole painting. And in the before sin, you see that in physical intimacy, mm -hmm. you see that in emotional intimacy, the fact that they were naked and felt no shame. Yeah, no shame. Uh, they're fully known and there's no sense of uh, self-consciousness. Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> uh, we haven't experienced it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we'll see in the next chapter yeah. how they pull apart yeah. uh, with those two genders. But that's really the vision here. Um, God, again, he shows himself off in the book of Isaiah, both through feminine and masculine nouns. Mm -hmm. I think it's Isaiah 42 says the Lord will march out like a mighty man, like yeah. a warrior. Mm -hmm. And then he turns around in chapter 66 and said, the Lord will come to you like a mother. <laughs> Love that. Loving you and bringing you close to her. Yeah. Who is God, masculine or feminine? That's a pointless question. He's created himself, or he's, excuse yeah. me, reflected himself uh -huh. through gender. But he brings us together in oneness. So we don't have to fear gender. We don't have to flatten everything. You know, it's been a lot of talk about, let's flatten the org chart. You know, it's kind of a modern thing. Let's right. do all this. When we seek to flatten this gender equality and get away from God's divine purpose and his picture in reflecting his image through this uniqueness of a man and a woman 
man, we're missing out. We're giving up too much to flatten and give, to go Gobi. Right? Yeah. And I think what happens is all we do is create a confusion in marriage, but yeah. B, even some confusion in masculinity and femininity. You oh, yeah. When biblical masculinity and biblical femininity are both strong and powerful and humble, <laughs> and they come together to reflect a bigger story. So if I could summarize it this way, yeah. I would say a man lives out his leadership, his headship yeah. in the, the way he initiates and cares. Okay. Maybe you could come up with better words. Those are just my best shots. I think they're great words. A woman reflects her feminine strength and power, her reflection of God, in the way she follows his leadership (laughs) and in the way she completes him because he cannot pull off God's assignment on his own. It's going to be a team sport (laughs) in their marriage and the way they live that out. Walk this out for us a little bit. Is it 100% on that side and 100% on this side? Or is there some type of yeah. percentage split about how that really plays out across the board? I, I've thought about that as well because I have, uh, I have two daughters, three sons. Yeah. And uh, in some ways, my daughters have stronger leadership ability and yeah. instinct. There's some wiring and gifting, just God-given gifting in them. My sons as well in some unique ways, but they're different in that. And my, my daughters bring some, well, their days, they bring a little more game to the table. <laughs> and... Uh, and so this isn't her holding herself back. Uh, if I could summarize it this way, I would say in general, yeah, not hundred and zero. Yeah, gotcha. A that, man I think ref- is important. I think so because yeah. a man, I think, is re- reflects more of the strength of God. A woman more of the uh, the maybe the mercy of God, mm-hmm. or a man more of the impact, and a woman more of the ability yeah. to connect. If it's a hundred zero, then we oh, have man. weak women, codependent women. That's not good. No. Or we have abusive, dominant men. That is dangerous. We have prisons for that. So it's more of a 60-40 split. A man yeah, if it's who, all impact and no connect. Yeah. Something's <laughs> you got wrong. A mess. Yeah. Right. It's all connect and no impact. Something's wrong. Yeah. Uh, Dan Allender is an author I like to read. It's yeah. a person that in my previous work life had to got a chance to call a friend and do some association okay. with. I remember once him leaning over and saying, You know, there's a reason that we train our our sons for war and our daughters for relationship. Mm. It doesn't mean that a woman can't go to battle and sure. a man shouldn't relate. But there's a reason we lean that way, and that's because there's kind of this 60-40 yeah, kind it. of leaning in the design. It doesn't mean who can't lead in the office and who can't yeah. lead in healthcare and who can't lead in government. And that is not, first of all, this isn't about that. That's this right. is about the marriage relationship. Um, and so in this context, you see a woman bringing a little more of the connection, a man bringing a little more of the impact mm-hmm. of God, and them coming in be a full picture of him. And that's what we're striving for, is to get that full picture so that we can truly live out our kingdom citizenship in the divine portrait of biblical marriage. We've been talking about the image created. Now, for all of us who've been married or engaged or are hoping to be married one day, it seems like from the wedding to the engagement pictures to everything we do to put up a good image, we can fall short of having that enduring, purposeful, and divinely inspired image of what a kingdom marriage could be. I want you not to buy in to all the stuff that's coming to you from your culture of what marriage is supposed to be and what what the purpose of it is all about and everything that can get us off and help us to put our eyes at a lower level than looking out onto the horizon of what the king 
has for us in his kingdom and live out that beautiful portrait of the marriage that he's designed for his kingdom citizens to live in. So continue with us as we go through the next three episodes in this series when we talk about how this plays out in the life of a man, how it plays out in the life of a woman, and what it looks like when things go awry and how that relationship gets redeemed so we can fully live out our kingdom citizenship and endure for a lifetime and then beyond that. I hope you've been blessed by today's episode and go and be in it, but not of it.